Draft analyst from LA Football Network, Jamal Madney. We have a special guest in the house for our first episode, Ben Fennell. This guy, it works for the NFL Network. He worked under Mike Mayock, worked under Daniel Jeremiah doing the draft prep shows, uh, works for the Eagles right now as a producer, a Drexel alum, and runner-up for most interesting man in the world on the Dos Equis cans, <laughs> my man, Ben Fennell. How are you doing today, bro? I'm doing well. Another day in paradise here in Philadelphia, uh, coming off a Tuesday night win. We don't get many of those around here. I threw a little wrench in our schedule, but a lot of teams are starting to turn the page in the draft chatter, and I'm the guy to always introduce you. I've been covering the draft all year round. It's nice when everybody else wants to join you once their teams are out of contention, so always willing and ready to talk some draft. We love it, man, and it's an honor to have you. We're going to kind of get into some talk about the Eagles later. I'm interested to hear your take if the Eagles should potentially move on from Jalen Hurts, who has showed some serious flashes in year number two in Philly. But I'd be remiss if we did not start our draft analysis for 2022 with the edge rushing class. I mean, Ben, you could tell me just from a top, I think there's a chance maybe five defensive linemen get drafted in the top ten. Do you think that's a fair estimate? Yeah, and I think it's fun looking each year at the personality and the positional depth of each draft class because they all kind of take on different tones and prospect depth is usually cyclical. So when it's deep one year, typically rubber bands back the next year and this year it's the edge rushers and it's all different shapes and sizes and abilities and versatilities. Uh, Obviously at the top with Thibodeau and Hutchinson kind of dominating, but all sorts of different types of prospects throughout whether they're heavy edges, loose speed rushers, guys with a lot of positional flexibility up and down the defensive line. There's some that maybe aren't the sexiest, but are brute strong three down players that maybe certain teams like as opposed to other teams. So different strokes for different folks, but a lot of edge rushers at the top. I could see maybe five, six, maybe even seven squeezing into the first round when it's all said and done. That is impressive. And, you know, I'm looking over the guys. We're about to go in depth on about four or five of the guys. Jamal, what's one word to describe this top of the edge rushing class for 2022? It's game changing, Will. I think that, you know, in in today's day and age, especially in the NFL, with everything being so pass heavy and, and spread concepts and, you know, the ability to get to the quarterback is really the one equaling factor that defenses have, you know, in terms of standing a chance uh, to sort of be able to contain the modern NFL offense. And so if you can get an elite pass rusher, what that does for you, it just kind of changes the outlook of your defense schematically. You can do more things on the, on the weak side of your line. There's more things you can do in coverage. There's more things that you can do uh, with your linebackers from kind of a Tampa two standpoint, it just sort of changes the game. And so, you know, this in many ways has now become the bread and butter equalizing position in the NFL to counter great quarterback play. And spot on points, by the way, I'm really looking forward to this. The guy that we got to start with Aiden Hutchinson, this guy, I just want to read off the list of awards. This guy got this year, unanimous, all American academic, all American Heisman runner up, Lot Impact Trophy, Lombardi Award winner, Comeback Player of the Year, Big Ten Coaches Player of the Year, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, 
defensive lineman of the year for the Big Ten. It is unbelievable what this guy was able to achieve. Ben, how good is Aiden Hutchinson? Is he worthy of the number one pick? I think he's going to be in the conversation. Uh, I think when it's all said and done, he'll be a smidge behind Kayvon Thibodeau. But a lot of teams are going to covet what Aiden Hutchinson brings. I think he's a true 4-3 defensive end. I don't think he's really an odd front stand-up type to play outside backer. So he'll probably uh, be a little bit more attractive to the even front teams. But he's strong. He's stout. He's powerful. He's no nonsense. He's one of these types that are not looking to run around you. And that's okay because the quickest way from A to B is a straight line. And I love power rushers in the NFL because they win with violence strength and they get there faster runaround types are fun with their first step and the bend and the flexibility but they're a liability typically in the run game and on early downs Aiden Hutchinson is a brute strong three down player may not be the sexiest guy to win high side and may not be a double digit sack guy but he's going to be a guy that's really tough to take off the field that's going to be a b plus a minus run and pass defender this guy is outstanding. He 15 pressures against a very, very talented Ohio State line. Throw on the film against Iowa. He's doing a lot of the same things in the Big Ten Championship game. Jamal, give me your take on Aiden Hutchinson, who is an absolute beast out there on the gridiron. Ben, you're a man after my heart when you start sort of throwing in Pythagorean theorem-like principles in the analysis. <laughs> like, that was absolutely fantastic. But I completely agree with Ben. I think that Hutchinson is – it's kind of the difference between how high do you want to swing for upside versus how much do you want to protect downside. And if you're if you're a GM that's looking to kind of protect downside and want to get something as close to a sure thing as possible, I think Hutchinson is your guy. What really impresses me about him, and Ben alluded to these points, is you know the power rush. Uh, you know, obviously, just sort of straight line to the quarterback. But even this year with Michigan, he played his biggest in the biggest games. He was 14 and a half sacks at Michigan. He had three sacks in that game against Penn State. When even though Michigan was eight and one, you really questioned how good they were. That Penn State game was their first really big game uh, to sort of prove who they were. And he came through and just caused absolute havoc on that Penn State line with three sacks. And then the big one against Ohio State where he had another three sacks in in Michigan's sort of biggest win, arguably the last 15 years. And so the fact is, this guy is no nonsense, but he plays his biggest when the lights are the brightest. And those are the things that when you're a head coach, when you're a GM, you're going to be salivating over. He's technically very sound. He's fundamentally very sound. And he's about as proven a commodity that you can get in this draft. And for some of the doubters guys that say, hey, maybe it wasn't a great tackle year in the Big Ten, go back two years as a 19-year-old, watch them against Tristan Wirfs. They each kind of had their wins, each took their lumps. That's an NFL starting tackle, a top 10 pick in the NFL draft that 19-year-old Aiden Hutchinson got past a couple times. So go back a couple years. If the tackle quality wasn't up to your standards in 2021, go back because Hutchinson's been doing it for a couple years. 14 and a half sacks, a program record for Michigan as well. Hutchinson's going to be at the top of that draft board. The other guy kind of vying for that number one pick. Ben mentioned him earlier, Kayvon Thibodeau. This guy got injured a little bit this year, but still seven sacks, seven games. He was very productive. He can beat you with the speed. He can beat you with the brute strength. Mm -hmm. Give me your thoughts on Thibodeau. This guy is an absolute freak out there. And I know fans like the NFL comparisons, and I like always giving a framework of style, fit, body type, not projecting careers. 
just the style and how they win. So before we put Hutchinson to bed, reminds me a little bit of a Jared Allen type. No Ooh. nonsense power rusher. But turning the page over Thibodeau, who I think is going to be the number one player in the draft, whether it's the Lions or somebody else, a little bit more of a Sam linebacker defensive end type. Better in space, in my opinion. Used more in space at Oregon. Sometimes a little bit too much in space, where he's detached over the slot or maybe out in space a little bit too much, a la Deion Jordan about 10 years ago that wasn't used properly either. But he's explosive. He's strong, has a short area quickness. He can win with bend and flexibility, but he can long arm you right back into the quarterback too. So he's got that ability to almost win with a three-way go. Outside, inside, through you, in space. He checks a lot of boxes too. I think has a little bit more flexibility with his position and his scheme. I think he could play that stand-up role and play out in space. He's a really impressive player. Even if he didn't play in 2021, I think he's done enough the previous two years to warrant a top 10 selection. Jamal, what is your thoughts on Thibodeau? This guy, you turn on the film against UCLA, the game that we watched. He was the most dominant player on that field against Cal, against USC 2020. This guy is a monster when it comes to getting in the backfield. What's your thoughts on Thibodeau? Yeah, Will, absolutely. And Ben, I loved how you sort of presented that in terms of a framing of comparison. And so again, not projecting career or performance, but just in terms of the measurables, in terms of the styles, he has the athleticism and the dynamism of a Jason Taylor uh, with the power of a DeMarcus Ware. And so that he's sort of a Ware-Taylor hybrid, and that's what has everybody salivating. Will, you talk about that UCLA game, nine tackles, two sacks. UCLA was the number one pass offense and the number one scoring offense in the Pac-12 and he was solely responsible for shutting them out through two and three quarters of that game when he just totally wreaked havoc on DTR and the rest of those Bruins. When you look John at the Ryan field, too, John Ryan, the NFL. Sean Ryan, who is an NFL quality tackle, no question about it. When you look at the film against Washington State, another two sacks was single-handedly responsible for Oregon creating separation in that game. And he's a guy, when he's not on the field, is a completely, uh, you feel that presence so deeply. You know, the game that Oregon lost early this year to Stanford when uh, Thibodeau couldn't play the first half, Stanford was sort of throwing the ball all over the place and running all over the place. He got on the field, and they literally were shut out the entire second half except for that last drive. And so, again, you can put him out in space. He's an edge rusher, rusher. He can go around you. He's got great feet, great hands. He sort of has it all physically. I think the one question I would have with Thibodeau is a little bit of maturity and what's going on between the ear holes because he got into some questionable situations over the course of his college career. But physically, uh, it's all there, and he's probably your number one guy. Thibodeau, 126 total tackles, 35 and a half tackles for a loss in 30 games. I think if you have more tackles for a loss than games played, you're doing something right <laughs> at the defensive end level. Um, we'll kind of breeze through the next two guys. I'm going to combine it for Karloftis and DeMarvin Leal. I'm very high on both these guys, two very different players. Um, ben, start me off with your thoughts on Karloftis and Leal, who both, you know, in any mm -hmm. given year could have been maybe the number one defensive lineman given out the talent at the top with Hutchinson and Thibodeau. Yeah, I don't think George Karlaftis is really that far removed from what Aiden Hutchinson is. A good run-pass defender, three-down player. 
heavy-handed, strong, relentless player, plays with a great motor, great effort. If you think you're going to put a tight end over him, he's going to ragdoll him like he's not even looking at him. I don't want to go to the the white edge rusher from Purdue, but this is Ryan Kerrigan 2.0. I think that's the type of player you're getting, Uh, that power rusher that's going to go right in through inside shoulders and try to bully you back into the quarterback. He could play out in space a little bit, Probably not a guy you want zone dropping too often, but leave him at the point of attack on early downs against tight ends, and he's going to be in a lot of backfields. Another really strong player, relentless player, heavy-handed player, maybe not the sexiest. Maybe he won't test that great. He's not going to run a great 40. Maybe he won't be explosive at the combine, but that's okay because he's a no-nonsense type. He's a buckle-your-chin-strap type because you're in for a full day when Carl Aftis is over you. Love that with Carl Loftus. Give me your thoughts on DeMarvin Leal. This guy is an absolute freak, Six foot four, 290, can play on the edge, can play inside. He's the most versatile lineman I see in the top 10 because he can play every position on the line, and he can do it very effectively as well. Yeah, and these heavy ends are the ones that are tough to figure out where do you put them, whether it's DeMarvin Leal, Trayvon Walker at Georgia, Zachary Carter at Florida, um, even Josh Paschal at Kentucky, or all this – 6'3", 285, 290, that they play in some downs, then they play three-tech, then they're zero in sub-packages. They literally play up and down the line. So I think that's okay if you could get them to a multiple front team like Baltimore or Pittsburgh or New Orleans or, you know, there's a lot of teams out there running kind of uh, versatile fronts, but he's thick, he's heavy, he's a guy that can slide inside at three-tech and sub-packages. Reminds me a lot of Cam Jordan coming out of Cal who somehow just missed his first game two or three weeks ago for the first time in his career. It's like 140 straight games he's played. Cam Jordan may not be in the mental Rolodex of the best pass rushers and edge rushers in the NFL. Ask any offensive lineman, any offensive line coach, any offensive line unit. He's one of the most respected NFL players in the league because he's just relentless run, run first player a three down player and a guy that can play up and down the line and do all the dirty work like he did last week up on Tom Brady's back most of the game. So DeMarvin Leal, another guy may not test well. It's going to look a little heavy, not the flexible bendy type off the edge, but a no nonsense relentless type, which if you guys are kind of uh, figuring out my type, it's those power rushers that are heavy handed that aren't run liabilities. So Carl Laftis, Hutchinson, Leal, those are my types. And Leal flashed this year, eight and a half sacks. Uh, he had, you know, four and a half combined in his first two years on campus at Texas A&M. Kind of made that jump. I got to mention this with Carl Loftus, two-time shot put champion in high school mm-hmm. at West Lafayette, Indiana. And I looked at his high school stats, maybe the most disgusting stats I've ever seen from a defensive <laughs> end. 84 tackles for a loss and 41 sacks his senior year in West Lafayette. Carl Loftus has got a bright future as well as Leal. Madney, tell me what you're thinking about both these dudes. No, agreed, Will. And, and you know, the drop-off is so slight with, with these guys. I mean, Leal in particular gives me some Everson Griffin vibes as well. Uh, and and to, to sort of Ben's point of his sort of ability to play all across the line. I think the other piece of it is there's there's sort of a marriage here with, with these two guys and where they're going to be positioned in the draft. Because, you know, the way the NFL works is – you know, the, the top five are, are those teams that are really hopeless this year, right? But then once you start getting seven and above, you're, you're looking at teams that sort of barely miss the playoffs by a couple of games. And when you factor that in with 
Karloftis and, and Leal having such strong college performances in the arguably the two best college conferences in America and the game experience that they've had, they're going to be put in some really nice situations to make immediate impacts right away on teams that were fringe playoff teams where they're going to have the opportunity to turn that ship around right away. And so teams actually should be salivating. And Ben, you, you talked about kind of the Baltimores and the Pittsburghs and potentially even the Minnesotas, you know, those teams that are D line heavy, and really have that as the ilk of their identity that uh, sort of our fringe playoff right now could be getting absolute steals uh, in these two individuals and making a profound jump next year. Don't be surprised if any of those four guys, or all of them for that matter, (laughs) end up in the top 10. We got to get to two specialty guys. And I think these guys are the best safety prospect and the best corner prospect that I can remember over a five-year span. Kyle Hamilton, if you were to go into a laboratory and draw up the perfect-looking safety, the way they, the range, the athleticism, the size, the skill set, the ball hawk, Kyle Hamilton checks those boxes for me. And granted, he did miss some time this year, but you wouldn't have guessed. Three picks, roaming around the field. I was watching some tape against him against Clemson last year, and he lined up on the opposite side of the field. And he had to go and cover Amari Rogers in the slot, and he made a beeline to that area. I've just never seen that range before. I had to rewind it back a couple of times. Ben, give me your thoughts on Kyle Hamilton because outside of maybe Jamal Adams, I can't remember a safety that's picked my interest this much at the end of the draft. Yeah, I mean, it looks like he was made in a lab because this is a Petri dish type of safety with his length, his size, his range, the ball skills, the athleticism. Uh, The one knock, I guess, in searching for a knock is he's just not that thumping, killer over the middle type of safety presence, which is okay. Um but he's going to be that tight end eraser. You know, all these tall, long, athletic tight ends that are stretching the seam and are now playing detached out in that flex position. Kyle Hamilton's the tight end eraser. And to see him comfortable against the slot receivers like Amari Rogers of the world, but also have the size and the physicality to hang with the big gazelle receivers and these athletic mismatched tight ends, he's going to be a really fun safety player uh, at the next level. Don't think... Well, can he play Will Linebacker? Can he get down in the box? Keep him at safety. There is a use for true safeties, cover safeties in the NFL. Don't take every 220-pound safety and make him a Will Linebacker. We need guys that can play in space, play on the back end, play too deep, play single high free safety, and then take some man matchup assignments. I think Kyle Hamilton's going to check a lot of boxes and a lot of mock drafts. I'm seeing him dip a little bit into that 5-10 to range, which – Like you had just said, Jamal, there's going to be some fringe playoff teams right there that maybe are just a piece or two away or maybe finish the season at nine and eight. I know it sounds weird with the 17 game schedule, just missing the playoffs. Maybe they only have to move up two, three spots to get a Kyle Hamilton type of player on an elite team. That's a scary proposition. Just think about like a, I don't want to say a Green Bay or somebody like that, but just imagine a contending team adding a Kyle Hamilton type of player to them. It's kind of a scary proposition. And NFL coaches, if you're listening, do the smart thing. Listen to our guy, Ben. Don't move them like they did with Isaiah Simmons. Keep Kyle Hamilton at the safety position. Jamal, give me your thoughts on this freak safety. I was blown away by what I saw. As as was I, Will. I mean, 6'5", 220, you know, he he just is – he's a statue. I mean, he's a a Michelangelo statue. And and for L.A. football fans – 
the, the prospect he actually reminded me most of was Taylor Mays of USC about 10 years ago. I got such Taylor Mays vibes from Kyle Hamilton. Now, obviously, Taylor Mays didn't quite work out in the NFL, but just uh, in terms of measurables and how he played in college, what was most impressive to me about Hamilton was his straight line speed once he had the instinct of where the play was going. There's so many plays in college where he just sort of blew, blew lateral runs and sort of short bubble screens up in the backfield once he made that recognition of where the ball was going. And similarly in the pass game, when he realized the, the receiver that the quarterback had locked into, you know, his ability to just go straight line and break up the pass or outright intercept it was just absolutely staggering. Then I agree with you. The one question I do have is, is he that enforcer in the middle of the field? And I didn't get a lot of that on film with him. And so if there's one wart on Miss Universe, if you will, it would be, is he that thumping safety that can enforce the middle of the field? Uh, but that remains to be seen. But in terms of what the, the measurables he's got, as well as the intangibles, he's an absolute stud. And just to put him to bed, put him in my unicorn category that he doesn't get a comp. Because since 2000, looking at combine data, 6'4", 220, there's only been four safeties to show up to the combine. Wow. That was 6'4", 220. And neither of them or any of them are going to inspire uh, the type of player that Kyle Hamilton is. I know Obi Melifanu is probably the recent one, which yeah. is a buyer beware for some draft nicks out there. But Kyle Hamilton is a special, unique player. And to put that in perspective with what Ben said, I wanted to Google how the size of Kyle Hamilton differed from your average safety. And the average safety size is six foot one, about 200, a little over 200 pounds. This guy's got three inches on that and about 15 to 20 pounds heavier than your average safety on the football field. Well, he's one of those guys that walks into the locker room and the receiver coach looks at him and says, can this kid catch? He just <laughs> looks too good as an athlete to say, what else can we do with this guy? You know, <laughs> he's a freak, man. And like, this is a draft full of freaks, but he might be at the top of that list given his position group. Another guy we've heard a lot about. He's eerily similar to Trevor Lawrence as we've just been waiting for this guy to be draft eligible. That's Derek Stingley Jr. I mean, had arguably the greatest freshman season a corner has ever had in college football, was the star of that defense, led the team in picks six interceptions that year for the national championship Tigers team. We could be looking back on that team the way we look back on some of those early 2000s Miami teams with just the amount of talent that was on there. We already have Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Burrow popping. If you can add Stingley to that group with a solid NFL career, my God. Um, this guy allows 41.1% completion rate to him. He's unbelievable on the outside. Give me your thoughts on Derek Stingley because it's been a little quieter the sophomore and junior years, but that freshman year has everyone screaming he's got to be a top 10 pick. Well, this is a guy that has caught some passes in the past. Watch his high school receiving tape. It's electric. He's an incredible guy. He could have been a five-star receiver if he wanted to. Ran official 4-3-0 in high school, laser time. This guy's going to be a freak show once he gets to his shorts and T-shirts. But he's a speedy press man corner with patience, ball skills, foot quickness, vertical speed. My issue with him is occasionally he's had mental lapses. Late in the down, double moves, things like that, not being ready at the snap. Had some trouble with Devonta Smith last year. That kind of exposed some things. But that 2019 team, that national championship team as a true freshman, came right out the gates and was a shutdown corner in the SEC as a 18, 19-year-old. That was all I needed to see. And that 2020 LSU took a big rubber band back to reality. They were awful last year. 
a lot of turnover, a lot of more young guys in there. Their front seven wasn't the same. I kind of give him the benefit of the doubt in 2020. He's playing better this year. I know I don't think he's been on the field all the time, but that 2019 tape has left a lasting impression in a lot of people's mind. Everybody's looking for a press man corner out there that can turn, run, take the ball away. That's Derek Stingley. Jamal finishes off with the last of elite defenders, Derek Stingley. This guy looks like he can be a shot down corner for maybe a decade in the NFL. No question about it, Will, and he's the, the, the heir to DBU, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you talk about LSU and, and, and Patrick Peterson and the Honey Badger, and, and he was just sort of next in line of, of this defensive back royalty, and I'll be honest with you, his ball skills uh, are probably the strongest of any prospect I've ever seen. And, and Ben, you were spot on when he was in press coverage and the ball was in the air everything felt like a jump ball. It, it didn't even feel like a defender was trying to knock a ball away. I mean, he was going for it the way a receiver would be going for it. I think that, you know, when he came on his freshman year to spring ball, you know, three days in, the LSU coaches said he was already the best corner on the team, or the team that arguably was the greatest college team of the modern era of college football. I think the last two years, truthfully, uh, ben, you alluded to some of the mental lapses. I think it was boredom. I think that once once you sort of know that you can dominate a level and uh, you want to sort of protect and preserve your health to get to the next level, I think we saw a little bit of that. Uh, but this guy, in my opinion, is going to challenge the mantle of who is going to be the next best corner in the NFL after Jalen Ramsey. And I think he's going to get there in two or three years. This guy is elite. He's electric. And I think whoever gets him, needs to sort of figure out a way to get him some touches on the other side of the ball, whether that is in the return game in special teams or whether that is a couple of packages in some spread concepts because his ball skills needs to be sort of extracted at, at all ends of the field. Hey, I don't know if you saw last night, the Philadelphia Eagles put Darius Slay on offense, so it's not out of the question. And he's yep. a guy, you want to talk about iron sharpening iron? He showed up to practice and had to face Jamar Chase every day. Just like Kayvon Thibodeau, he had to show up and face Penny Sewell for two years. That's pay-per-view level practice tape out there. So iron sharpening iron, definitely on those teams. Man, and second in line is Jefferson. I mean, he's not getting any breaks with the the depth there (laughs) receiver. It's pretty insane. Um, Let's move to the quarterback room, gentlemen. I think a lot of people are kind of underwhelmed is kind of the word I would use. with the. I don't feel that way at all looking at some of this tape. Um, You know, last year had the five quarterbacks in the top 15 picks. That is something that will be historically remembered upon. But there's a lot of guys I really like from this class. And I want to start with the guy that had the biggest jump in 2021, Kenny Pickett. The only guy can really compare the jump he made uh, was similar to uh, Joe Burrow, an older prospect that had that extra year to kind of get him up and make things happen. Looking at his tape, I think a quarterback has always got to be confident. He's got to make plays. This guy's got moxie, though, and I'm not even just talking about the fake slide play he did against Wake Forest in the uh, ACC championship game. Two plays really stood out to me against Miami and Virginia. The play completely breaks down, and he's able to navigate it around and make the play. Um, Size, I mean, he's not even close in size to the guy, but I saw a lot of Ben Roethlisberger there in terms of just when a play breaks down, he can roll out and make something happen when the odds are stacked against him. And that's a guy I want in my quarterback room. Ben, what do you see from Kenny Pickett and what he was able to do this year? 
Yeah, he's obviously had a prolific 2021 season. A lot of people are saying, well, where did this come from? Remember, his previous three years, he led college football and dropped passes. So he's a guy that never had the help on the backside. You watch in the ACC, Trevor Lawrence get the throw to these big gazelle receivers with huge catch radius. That wasn't Kenny Pickett. So he was a guy you couldn't box score scout because he put the ball in the money a lot and his receivers let him down. 2021, Jordan Addison, Blitnikoff winner, finally got some help out there. But he's slowly been improving that ability. I thought he showed more touch this year, more ability to layer the ball. I thought his previous couple of years, everything was that same velocity, sometimes too hard when he didn't need to be. And like you had said, he's got functional mobility. I don't think he's going to run away from anyone. I don't think you're going to do a whole lot of quarterback scheme runs. But he's a guy that can maneuver in the pocket, escape when he needs to. And I love the quarterbacks that know that limitation because they're willing to keep their eyes up and stay in distributor mode because that's their job. When you're a quarterback, you're a distributor first and foremost. And Kenny Pickett knows that. He makes really good decisions. Before 2021, some of my favorite plays of his were red zone throwaways. You don't see that in college football. He makes really good decisions out there. Now, with that being said, I don't think he has a whole lot of tools to get excited about. He doesn't have a huge arm. He's not a huge guy. He's not an athletic guy. He doesn't have this Peyton Manning cerebral mentality. But I remember watching his tape last fall, not this fall, last fall for a couple people. And this was a time in the NFL where, you know who was starting at quarterback? Brett Rippon, Kyle Allen, Ben DiNucci, Gardner Minshew, Nick Mullins. There was a crapshoot of crappy quarterbacks out there, a lot of them backups. And I said, you know what? If these guys are playing in the NFL, Kenny Pickett can play in the NFL. Now, what draft capital do you take on a Kenny Pickett? I think he has backup traits. Does that mean you can win with them? Sure. But where does backup traits get you drafted in the NFL? And to me, he is not a first-round caliber quarterback. However, the quarterbacks get bumped up. If you don't have one, you go get one. And I'm old enough to remember guys like Christian Ponders of the world getting bumped up just because of that. So everything that I say, you know what, Kenny Pickett isn't a first-round level talent for me. Well, he's better than Christian Ponder, and somebody took Ponder at 12th overall. So there's always a little bit of kind of recency bias and things with it, but I think he's a smart quarterback. I think you can win with him. I think he's a great distributor. What draft capital are you willing to spend? Is it going to be the big question? And if you ask 32 teams, you may get 32 different landing spots. Love it. And you got those EJ manuals, those Paxton Lynches every single year that kind of, you know, draw up because the quarterback position, easily the most important in the NFL. Uh, the jump he made in 2021 compared to 2020 and 2019. So 2019 was the last full year, uh, 13 touchdowns, nine interceptions. This year he went 42 touchdowns, seven interceptions and raised that completion percentage up to 67%. Very impressive stuff. And, and Will, real quick, like when you're talking about not having tools or traits, and now I'm just going through my brain. I mean, Joe Burrow didn't have a lot of tools and traits. He didn't have a huge arm. He wasn't an athletic specimen, but he made good decisions. He was accurate. He showed he can win. He was fiery. He was competitive. Next thing you know, he's a good season. He's the first overall pick, and they never Baker looked Mayfield. back. So, yeah, so Baker Mayfield's another one. So as much as that's not my type, and I don't think he has that type of – upside to take him in the first round he's a guy that you can win with so some offensive coordinators and head coaches and gms say that's the type we want we know what we're getting it's not high variant play and we can win with this guy if we put the right supporting cast around him 
And other teams may say he doesn't have enough to put us over the edge. Is he a truck pulling the team or is he a trailer getting pulled by the team? And I love that kind of analogy and figuring out who your quarterback is for your team. Love that, man. That was a great metaphor to, you know, evaluate the starting quarterback position. That's a Daniel Madden. Jeremiah one. I stole that from you, DJ. <laughs> Shout out Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, Madman, give me your thoughts on Pickett. I think he's made as big a jump as, you know, the Burroughs and the Bakers in the past. Maybe not to that number one spot, but he made that jump to the first round. Definitely will he has. And I, I loved all the points that Ben said, and I, I won't certainly repeat them because I, I think Ben did a phenomenal job. But the one heuristic I really like about Kenny Pickett is this ability to take a four or a five win college team and turn them into a nine or a 10 win college team. And I think when you look at the landscape of the NFL of the last four or five MVP award winners, that's really been the common trait, regardless of style and regardless of measurables, that they all share. When you look at Mahomes at Texas Tech, Lamar Jackson at Louisville, Rodgers at Cal, even a, a Justin Herbert taking a four-win Oregon team, taking them to the Rose Bowl. It's those guys that take these middle college teams where they don't have advantages at the receiver spot, where they don't have advantages at the line spot, where they don't have receivers in the trenches or at the skill position. And they're through their arm strength, through their decision-making and through their intangibles are able to generate a winning environment and a winning season. And that above everything else is what Pickett has going for him of taking a team like Pitt and putting them into a New Year's Six Bowl. What I love about him off the, off the film is just how easy the ball comes out. And he's got a great deep ball, such a smooth release, but he's also got those intermediate out routes. And I think Oftentimes with, with uh, prospects at this age, that's always the tough area, that intermediate area. You got guys who can kind of check down and throw it deep, but it's that touch and that finesse in that 15 to 20-yard range where I think Pickett really kind of shows a lot of difference. And he's got deceptive mobility. It reminds me a little bit of Daniel Jones with the Giants where the ball comes out really easily and he's sort of deceptively athletic. And I think given the supply-demand problem in the NFL – he certainly has demonstrated enough on the field. And again, a guy who's not going to jump off the page in the combine, but I think to warrant an opportunity uh, as a first round pick. And I think the only way to succeed in that intermediate window is to have timing, anticipation and accuracy. And that's what he can do. He's not going to throw the ball over the moon for you. He's not going to you know, outrun the pursuit for you, but he's going to distribute on time in rhythm. And that should excite an offense if you have the right weapons and team around this guy. You can win with them. Yep. And I like that comparison for Daniel Jones. I think that could be like a, a solid bar for him. I think worst case scenario, I think you get a very quality backup. And I know Jones, he may not be a starter, a long-term starter in the NFL again. But there's going to be a, a big market for that guy as a backup quarterback, given his history, given he could come in and maybe potentially win you some games. Um I'm going to move on to some other of the quarterback position. You tell me which guys you like the best out of this. Matt Corral, he's got a ton of buzz. A lot of people have him number one on their boards. Malik Willis is my personal favorite, given what I think, if he goes to the right situation, what this guy could potentially be. And then Desmond Ritter, who's been shooting up draft boards, four-year starter at Cincinnati, looks like a bigger Marcus Mariota to me with a stronger arm. So I don't know. I like all these guys. Ben, which guys do you like the best maybe out of that group? 
Oh, man, it's a tough year for me. I know you're a little bit higher on him than I am. I mean, Corral is loose. He's fun. He's got the strong arm that could throw from all different platforms. He is incredibly accurate in and out of structure, in and off platform. He's got the quick feet, the quick motion, just so inconsistent. I don't know if he sees the field well. And, you know, Sam Howell, I'm talking about falling off a cliff. Yeah. Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler, they were both kind of one-two, and he didn't have a great year. But he's tough. He's a leader. He's competitive. He's that RPO offense that's all over Sundays, throws the ball vertically extremely well. But is he Bryce Petty? Because that's who he was at Baylor. So doesn't have the huge size or anything. Desmond Ritter, another guy, makes all these plays out of structure. He's mobile. He's loose. He's just not accurate on the easy ones. And I need you to make those look easy. But I'm with you. Malik Willis, he's got to have the best upside. And that yeah. thick lower half, he's a strong arm kid. He's mobile, can kind of win in and out of structure. I just want to see him see the field a little bit better, less defined read stuff in that easy offense. He shredded uh, wherever the hell Liberty plays in what conference. And then there's that kind of wild card in Carson Strong, who's that more upright pocket passer that throws a really good anticipation, touch, throw layering, accuracy. But do some people think he's too much of a stiff? Well, I got news for you. You know, he's won a lot of Super Bowls, a bunch of stiffs like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and, you know, Drew Brees. And I know Phillip Rivers hasn't, but he's a guy that could have won if Tom Brady wasn't around. There's a lot of stiffs that, you know, win a lot of games. So I'm okay with the stiff if he can make it rain all over the field. And Carson Strong's done quite a bit of that at Nevada. So just a matter of what draft capital are you willing to spend on these guys? Because none of them seem like the perfect prospect. None of them seem like they have tremendous upside. Who do you feel like you can win with? And you have to weigh the class with the collective free agency too. Will somebody spend some free agency on Marcus Mariota? Do you go maybe try to trade for a Drew Locke or a Jordan Love? Is Russell Wilson available? Is Matt Ryan available? Rogers. So really, it's Rodgers. It's an interesting landscape of quarterbacks, and you really do have to take a step back and weigh it all in the same bucket. And I know teams do this in draft rooms and roster building meetings. You have to weigh the entire available kind of slate. So it may not seem like the best quarterback class at the top. Take a look at free agency. Take a look at some trade partners. If you need to win next year, there's some options out there. I love that. And I think we're both on the same page with Malik Willis. And I know the turnovers jumped this year. Completion percentage dropped. But it's eerily, he is eerily similar to Trey Lance last year and just doing it at a D1 level. Uh, a little shorter. They work with the same quarterback coach, Quincy Avery, out in Atlanta. But, boy, he's going to need some time. But you look at some of these big-time throws that this guy is capable of making, and it, my jaw just hits the floor with some of these throws that he can make on the run. He rushes. You know, he's a great runner, too. I mean, he nearly ran for 1,000 yards 2020, nearly did it again in 2021, 27 total rushing touchdowns. The, the situation I think for him could be like an early second round pick to Atlanta, the town he's from. He could sit behind Matty ice for a year, kind of get things going with Arthur Smith there and just kind of run the table with a Pitts and a Calvin Ridley returning. I think that'd be an ideal situation for a guy like Malik Willis. He's my guy from this draft. Jamal, I want to hear who is your guy from the quarterback class of the 2022. Yeah, well, I'm not particularly high on Ritter or Willis, you know, and Willis in particular, you know, three interceptions against Louisiana Monroe, three interceptions against Old Miss. Liberty only went seven and five. And Granted, you know, the, the comp to Trey Lance, I don't know if that's a good thing to be compared to Trey Lance. Like, you know, the jury's still very much out on Trey Lance. 
Ritter feels very erratic uh, as well. You know, very fortunate in that Notre Dame game. He had a couple balls that should have been intercepted and could have drastically changed the outcome of that game. I don't really trust Ritter uh, with his decision-making, and he doesn't quite have that upside to justify the risk. I think the one guy that has a chance to be a diamond in the rough is Matt Corral. And, and Will, I know you and I kind of talked about this a little bit. He gives off some Matt uh, Mark Sanchez, Mark Sanchez vibes. vibes. Yeah. He does. He reminds me a little bit of Derek Carr, too, a little bit of Heineke, uh, you know, sort of a non-traditional size, kind of an improvisational player. Uh, the ball, a lot of arm velocity. There's no question. I mean, those those sort of inside slant routes, and, you know, things sort of in that 8 to 15-yard range. I mean, the ball is really sizzling off his arm, really strong arm. I think, Ben, to your point, yeah, I definitely saw inconsistency. Uh, I think that his, his season here at Ole Miss was really sort of defined by one key event, and that was that game against Tennessee where Lane Kiffin kind of ran him into the ground. He had 30 carries for 195 yards against Tennessee and really wasn't the same after that. His body really broke down after that. But if you look at sort of the tape on him pre that Tennessee game, you know, definitely a playmaker. He's got some arm talent. And I think that could be a, a diamond in the rough. I like Corral out of this group. But I agree with you, Ben. It, it's slim pickings, especially when you look at that free agent landscape. Yeah, Malik yeah, Willis actually gives me a little bit of like a JT Barrett vibes. Which <laughs> yeah. may, people may say, well, that's not an NFL quarterback. Well, JT Barrett shredded the Big Ten for two, three years. I think he was one of the, the best pastors in the country, did a lot of work with his legs, similar frame, similar body type. I know he went to the Saints and never really materialized as an NFL quarterback. I see vibes of that. So we'll see if Malik maybe has a little bit more upside to develop. But a couple years ago, guys, just full disclosure here, I actually almost completely balk at studying quarterbacks. Because it was the Lamar Jackson year, and there's a lot of conversation about the quarterbacks. If I don't know the kid, it's really tough to know what they know or don't know. It's such a mental position that you can watch every snap this kid has ever put on tape. But if you don't know what he's going through in his head, what he's being asked to do, his mental processing, him on the whiteboard, you really can't fully evaluate these kids. And it's, it's the limitations of the tape. And sometimes it's okay for all the scouts out there. It's okay to say you don't know. Understand what the tape shows you and be willing to give a little bit of a blank area and a gray area for the things you don't know. Because these kids are young people. They're human beings. And I got news for you. Some are smart. Some are dumb. Some are cerebral. Some aren't. Some have instincts. Some don't. Some are coachable. Some aren't. When do you figure that out? A lot of times when it's too late and you already have them in your team, you're under contract and you learn the, the hard news the hard way. So there's a lot to figure out who these people are off the field and between the ears. And we don't always have those answers and that's okay. And evaluating the quarterback position just in general, not only the toughest thing to do in the NFL, it might be the toughest evaluation in all of sports, just yeah. because it's essentially a coin flip given not only that, but the situation is so much like a part of the quarterback's development. Like we were just talking about with Malik Willis. If he went to the Lions and you trotted him out last year, that guy would be a bust. You'd <laughs> run him out. But if he goes to a place where he can sit, develop for two to three years, maybe, you know, kind of gets the reins at some point and kind of, you know. I mean, you can, these top quarterbacks, you go to a team picking in the top for a reason because they sucked. So a lot of quarterbacks, when you go to those 
shitty teams, it can ruin you. You're used to winning your whole career, used to being confident. All of a sudden, you go to a team that's struggling and doesn't have that old line in front of you and maybe doesn't have that winning mentality, and you can fall off a cliff mentally. And that's what Peyton Manning whispered to Joe Burrow. Hey, just to let you know, the Bengals are picking first for a reason. Expect to lose. Expect it to be awful this first year, two years. Just hold on. Come out the other side. So a lot of a lot of circumstances with these top quarterbacks. It's funny with Peyton because he always totes that he broke the interception record when he came to right. the league. This is the guy that, you know, is thought about as the master of the quarterback position, broke the interception record as a rookie. Ben, you've been so gracious with your time. I just want to hear two prospects you like from UCLA and USC, one from each. I'm pretty sure who you're going to go with from USC, but I want to hear who you like from UCLA as well. All right, so we'll go UCLA first. I love Zach Charbonnet. I think he's he's got good size, vision, contact, balance, but he's got that extra juice in the open field to pull away, a la Jonathan Taylor a little bit, similar type of body type and skill set. Guys, I saw him in person twice in 2019, Illinois, and the bowl game against Alabama. That's right, Michigan played Alabama in the Citrus Bowl just two years ago. He was the one that made Hassan Haskins take a back seat. He was a true freshman, and just they couldn't not put him on the field. Goes over to UCLA. Hassan has a nice year. He has a nice year. Catches 23 of 25 targets. A little bit more involved in the pass game, so it's nice to see he could catch. He's a guy that's checking a lot of boxes there with his good size and can contribute on third down. He's a really, really fun player, uh, Zach Charbonnet. Love that with Charbonnet. He has some of the strongest legs I've ever seen of a running back. It takes like two to three guys to bring him down. SC, I know who it's going to be. I just want to hear it from you. Give me your thoughts on the freak (laughs) wideout from Los Angeles. All right, so I'm not a Drake London guy. I'm just going to put this out there right now. These 6'4", 2'10", receivers, I'm out on. I'm out on these guys. I have to be. I've pounded the table too often for the Doriel Green Beckhams and the Hakeem Butlers of the world and these guys with good size and good length that seem like they can separate and catch everything on Saturdays never seem to translate to Sundays. There's a reason why all these best route running receivers are all 6'3", 215. They're all Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams, that size. You can't be too big. You can't be too small. Now, listen, Drake London moves very well for 6'4", 205 pounds. Great play strength, great hands, good yards after catch. But first of all, he is not Mike Evans. Anyone throwing that out there? Mike Evans was 230 pounds. This guy's got 20 pounds on him. He's not Mike Evans. Could he be a more polished Hakeem Butler? Maybe. Reminds me a little bit of Justin Gage that also played basketball at Mizzou before he went to the Tennessee Titans. Similar player there. But the last 20 years, looking at 6'4", 200 to 215-pound receivers, you got A.J. Green, Martavis Bryant, who his career was a little turbulent. Then you get some really strange names after that. It's not a height-weight that typically survives and wins in the NFL. Does that mean Drake London can't do it? Of course not. Just not my type of receiver out there. You want to call him a U tight end? Is he a flex tight end? Is he Tyler Eifert? Maybe. Maybe we look at look at him just a little bit different. But he is an impressive player, put a lot of good stuff on tape. Hakeem Butler did too. So I'm rooting for him. I hope he proves me wrong. Just not my type of player. But if you want me to pick a USC guy that I do like, Drake Jackson. Put me down for Chris Steele. 
Ooh. I think he may end up being a sneaky defensive back. I see a lot of crap playing defensive back in the NFL in week 15, 16. They need DBs. They need corners. He was a five-star that went to Florida for a cup of coffee, then went over to USC and has played pretty good ball despite the collective defense not always being great. Isaac Taylor Stewart didn't really have the year I expected. Isaiah Polamal, I always thought was going to take that next step. Man, he, his, some of his best plays look like Kyle Hamilton's best plays. The range on the back end, the 6'4 frame, the ball skills, just never really took that next step, and the injuries are tough. Andrew Voorhees might be a first-rounder next year. I'm glad he's going back to school. So USC, a lot of fun players. Somehow not talking Drake Jackson there. <laughs> no Drake Jackson. Drake London, draft at your own risk, according to Ben. Jamal, just give me your two guys from both these schools that you like. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I love Dulcich, Greg Dulcich of UCLA, yeah. I think, as a as a tight end prospect. I mean, great hands. He's got great feet. He made some huge catches over the course of his career, the LSU game, the Stanford game. Um, Jamal, you know, this think, year he's averaging seven yards after catch per catch. That's insane. That plucks, plucks that ball and goes, man. He's going to be a insane. really good move tight end, yeah. Absolutely. You know, he gives me some Zach Ertz vibes, and I think oh, that he's, he's going to be a difference maker for a team. And I just love Greg Dulcich. In terms of the SC guys, you know, I got to double down on the two Drakes. I think the one thing, Ben, I will say about Drake London, some of the guys you mentioned, and I, it was really profound points about the 6'4", 210 guys, but a lot of those guys – want to be guys who are smaller and quicker. And I think that's where they lose their identity in the pros. What I love about London is all throughout his college career, he was looking for the contact. He wasn't really one of these sort of pretty boys who was just trying to get out in space. He was absorbing contact, seeking it out, and sort of grinding for more yards. And so in that regard, I think his instincts are more sort of tight end in nature. And I think he's going to play that 6 4 game a little bit differently a la Kyle Pitts. And I think the other guy is Drake Jackson at 6'4", 250. You know, he was in a tough spot. He declared that he was going to go pro, and then two weeks later, SC fires Helton, and he, he sort of was in a bit of self-preservation mode this year. And so I would encourage GMs and scouts to look at the film from 2019 and 2020. But he does kind of everything really well and nothing quite elite. But I think that could be sort of a great prospect where he grows I think he's, he's a great bull rusher. He's got great athleticism. I think high second round, maybe even a, a Giants team that wants to sort of rebuild in the elk of, of uh, Strahan and JPP in those glory <laughs> years, I think he could be a great find in that early second round. So I like the two Drakes. Steele was great, Ben, but, you know, his lone highlight this year was getting leapfrogged by yep. DTR, uh, <laughs> you know, in that SCU-CLA game. So maybe that sort of uh, poisoned my thinking a little bit. So just a couple of notes real quick. Drake Jackson, the NFL is kind of wondering, has he gotten better through his years at USC? Really flashed as a true freshman. Just never really seemed to take that next step in his development, like the Thibodeaux and some of the other guys. But he is loose. He's flexible as that first step. Tons of spin moves. He's a really uh, a lot of fun to watch. Sean Ryan seems like consensus yeah. is moving him into guard. He has tree trunks for legs. He is a people mover. Good in the run game, has some issues in pass pro. I think sliding him into guard could protect that. Quantrez Knight, the nickel safety off the edge for UCLA, he'll look like a second-round pick one week and then a priority free agent the next week. We all know he's had a turbulent college career going from Kent State to Maryland to UCLA. He's a guy the NFL is really poking and prodding to figure out what type of player you're getting because he's very high variant. 
Some weeks looks great. Some weeks you think you need to bench him. And Mitchell Agood, number 45, yeah. I think for UCLA, he's a guy that has slowly been stacking every year and getting better and better and better. Now that guys like Oso Digizuo moved on to the NFL, had a little bit more production, he's a guy I think can make a roster at the next level. And Mitchell Agude, uh, PFF loves that guy. His ratings yeah. were very solid this year. I want to just touch on Dulcich before we wrap this thing up. Guy's just a big game player. Eight <laughs> catches, 167 yards, and a touchdown against SC in the rivalry game. This year against LSU, I mean, they still have Elias Ricks out there. They still had Stingley in those first couple games. He made that 75-yard touchdown catch where he outraced those guys to the end zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, to me, and he wears the number 85, he reminds me of George Kittle. I'm not sure about the blocking, per se, but what he can do in the open field, the route running, what he does after the catch, screams George Kittle to me. So whoever gets George uh, Greg Dulcich is going to walk away a lucky. I'm with you, Jamal. I like the Zach Ertz one. I think a little bit softer there at the point of attack as a blocker. I mean, you know, being that former receiver, I think he got the campus at like 205, 210. So you see the receiver background in the pass game, a little extra sand in the pants in the run game. We'll see if he can add some more weight. He's been putting on good weight every year. Just needs to keep adding that, keep getting stronger. And once you get to an NFL strength and conditioning program, that's when things can really take off. Sure. was a walk-on, too. I mean, this yeah. guy did not even get offered by any Pac-12 school, so very impressive what Dulcich was able to do there. Ben, thank you so much for coming on. You guys want to touch Chargers and Rams real fast? Rams don't have any draft picks, so they're pretty uh, They're pretty easy to cover. Hey, if you got extra time, we are down to do it. We can do the Chargers first-round pick. The yeah, I mean, the Rams, have. they don't have any picks. Obviously, we know <laughs> they spend all their draft capital for the next 10 years. You need to seem to figure out what young guys are part of their futures. Cam Akers up fixture is Tutu Atwell got to replace the old guys like Whitworth but moving to the Chargers already done three games of theirs in person this year with CBS I'll be there next week for the Broncos game man you got to figure out that right side in front of Justin Herbert left tackle left guard center was addressed this offseason nice players got to figure out that right side it didn't go to plan with some injuries early I want to see a 220 pound back paired with Austin Eckler I'm sick of Austin Eckler being the feature back in that offense he is, not a power, he is not a power back. I want him on third down as a scat back, win in the pass game, be a satellite back, pair him with somebody. If Joe Lombardi thinks he's Alvin Kamara, pair him with somebody like Alvin Kamara is always paired with. He always has somebody that takes the beating between the tackles so he can win on the perimeter. Need a speed threat to kind of mix with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Need somebody to win over the top. And please get a two-way tight end. Having Hunter Henry move on was a huge loss. I'm sick of the rotation of Parham and Jared Cook and Trey McKitty, and uh, they're working another guy. I'm blanking on his name. But it's this rotation of tight ends that none of them are the full package. I want a tight end that can survive on early downs and can, can contribute in the pass game. And then really quick, the defensive side. Listen, you have two superstars and Derwin James and Joey Bosa and tons of average. Get Joey Bosa a, a mate on the other side. Replace Melvin Ingram, which they never really address. Jerry Tillery, he's good against the pass, bad against the run. Linval, good against the run, bad against the pass. Find someone complete in the trenches in there. One of those heavy defensive ends like Lee Al, Zachary Carter, would be a great fit for the Chargers, in my opinion. Guy can play outside and early downs, give him a little bit more juice on the inside, and you might have to completely hit reset on the linebacking room. I don't think Kaiser White can play in this league. 
Drew Tranquil just isn't it. And they seem very disappointed with Kenneth Murray. That may already be bust conversation. So a lot to address for the Chargers. Spin the wheel. I know they have a first round pick. Address any of those. <laughs> the guy I want to talk to you about is Jordan Davis from Georgia. Do you think okay. he could drop to maybe because yeah. as currently it sits, they're the 22nd pick in the first round. I think that'd be an ideal fit to line him up there next to Boza. Yeah, that's he's not bad. He's a run, you know. But he's a very interesting debate because the NFL says, well, if you're not a third down pass rush guy that can contribute in both phases, we typically don't reach for you in the first round. That's why Lynn Valls and Snacks Harrisons and all those guys are nose tackles out of nowhere because nobody spends high draft capital on them. The Vita Veyas of the world and the Danny Shelton's going to the top 10 are the outliers. That doesn't happen very often. So half the team say, you know what, Jordan Davis, he doesn't rush the passer. He doesn't play on third down. I'm not taking him in the first round. The other half say, no, he's an impactful player in the trenches. He's going to make everybody else better. He's going to make the linebackers better. He's that good of a run defender that he's worth a first-round pick. I've actually seen him mocked quite a bit to the Chargers, and I think he should be available for him there right in the early 20 conversation. Just a matter if the Chargers feel like that draft capital is worth it, but – he is a massive player. He's not hard to miss out there. He is fun, and he's a really good kid off the field, too. Awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your time today. You were very gracious with us. We'd love to have you back on in the future. Um, first episode of Draft in Session. We are.